Okay, here we are. Uh, it's very nice to see you, Hugh. I'm here with Hugh Lloyd, and uh, welcome to Thanks, whatever this me. is. <laughs> welcome to this yes. conversation. Thank you. And uh, it's really good to see you. I've um, I've been interested in reading various pieces of your writing for, for a fair amount of time now. And uh, recently, you posted a long video response to a question of mine. And uh, okay. how was that? How was that for you? What was that like? Um, yeah, interesting experience. I hadn't done a video of that length. Um, so um, I, I was happy with, with how it came through. There's, yeah, I think David uh, Kellogg mentioned, you know, these things that you don't realize that you, you're, um, your own habits mm. that come back to you a bit more uh, clearer than you're otherwise aware of. So that's quite interesting too. So yeah. anything in particular? Oh, things like, you know, Things like <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm working on that. I'm okay. working on that. So, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I can't polish myself up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so good it can, it can get. Um, so we talked, mainly you talked, but I was asking you on camera and then offline about parenting quite a bit. But uh, I'd, like, I'd like this conversation to be a little more wide ranging that's okay with you. Mm -hmm. So, um, but since you asked me offline, I'll answer you now. Part of my interest in studying Vygotsky and this haphazard project is, um, it's just, it's, I want to get closer to the bottom of this puzzle because I don't have a psychology background. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a teacher. I used mm -hmm. to teach high school English. Now I teach middle school English. Um, mm -hmm. So I've encountered Vygotsky through, I guess, educational psychology loosely. And uh, about 10 years ago, I just started getting interested in it. Okay. Um, I was studying wow. it a little bit in college and then yeah. took some time okay. off. And then I'm just trying to get a little closer to actually understanding this. So yeah, great. So that you was... might relate. You might relate no matter how many times people talk about the same concept over and over again. It's like uh -huh. you get a, it gets a little richer each time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, well, personally for me, th these are concepts that go, you know, that, that, um, are quite deep and, um, you know, they're insightful and they can mm. enrich, enrich, the, enrich the way you do things, perhaps enrich your life. So, yeah, I mean, if you're a thoughtful person, you know, then, then you're going to enjoy it. I'd have thought so, but, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. didn't realize you, uh, you'd been, you'd been, um, You've been reading around Vygotsky for uh, for that sort of duration. So, wow! Did were you yeah. introduced? Were you introduced to Vygotsky through teaching? Then is that how you first? Yes. Yeah. When I was so, when I was when I was first training to be a teacher, uh, mm. his was the name that was thrown around. Um, mm. Obviously, the concept of ZPD um, mm -hmm. in its elementary form was introduced mm -hmm. to us, and mm -hmm. but uh, but then once I tried reading thinking and speech and some other primary sources i was just totally over my head i mean it would wow. take me it would take me an hour to read four or five pages and it was yeah. really slow going okay uh, and and uh and now i'm up to maybe maybe uh maybe seven pages in an hour <laughs> <laughs> that's probably pretty good actually yeah yeah likewise i i find myself i'm quite a slow reader um you know compared to my wife who speeds through things and um I, I, whether it's true or not, I, you know, I, 
I put it down to saying, well, I'm just doing a lot of thinking when I'm reading. So I don't know if it's thoughtful, you know, yeah. so. Um, yeah, I do, I do a lot of squinting and like, because uh, <laughs> I don't have a lot of the references. I don't really have much of a psychology background. Okay. Um, I, uh, yes. So yeah. a fair yeah. amount of the references are, you know, uh, yeah. I have to get guesswork. And after yeah. a while, so, so this, this video thing that I started doing was kind of haphazard. Um, one question I had was, can I, can I develop enough knowledge or enough understanding, enough mm -hmm. semi-expertise in this field for it to be useful to myself and maybe others as a teacher, mm -hmm. practically, mm -hmm. very pragmatically. When I know full well, because I interact with some, some, some of these people, you could study mm -hmm. this for a lifetime, start mm -hmm. to almost develop an expertise. And I'm like, can I take a shortcut? You know, can I learn this stuff on the cheap? Yeah. And I am somewhat of a slow reader, so these conversations have been one method for me to try to, I, I guess I'm trying to maybe stand as a bridge between the person who doesn't want to commit any time and the person who wants to commit a lifetime. Yeah. So that's yeah. my goal. I think, I think you've, there are very good advantages, but there are some, some disadvantages perhaps, or just uh, consequences too, yeah. of trying to go, you know, directly or mediated through other people's understandings because of course as you no doubt aware from from reading messages and um you, different people have different understandings mm. of the uh of the content or come at it from quite significantly different ways so yeah yeah for sure how, yeah. how did you uh, how did you arrive here and in, in terms of the vygotsky stuff well um similarly to yourself i I had um, conceptual problems that I was trying to resolve, and um, I thought I detected some clues in Vygotsky's writing, as well as some other um, psychology texts. And um, I write about this a little bit in 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 some of my um, some of my draft papers. Mm. Um, so the, the, basically the problem I was trying to get to at the time was um, turned out to be uh, resolved through my understandings of active orientation. Um, but it started um, in the late 90s, well it started as a, it was a clearly formed, well a reasonably clearly formed problem for me in the late 90s after doing some cognitive science um, uh, studies. It was a master's program and um, it was uh, interesting but I didn't agree with much of much of uh, the deeper side to it. And, and I'm going to jump in I'm going to jump in very yeah. briefly. That's what is, fine. Yeah. What is cognitive science in a very simple terms? Oh gosh. If that's possible. Um, <laughs> Sometimes I do this, I ask a very simple question that's kind of hard to answer. But what's, right. what's the well, basic well, gist? Well, uh, I'm not sure if this is a definition that your classic, classic cognitive scientist would, would give you. Mm -hmm. But now I would say that uh, you could say cognition is the guiding aspect of activity, you could say. So if you need to do any, you know, you, you're trying to, you're doing a task mm. and you want to think about aspects of that task then you could call that, that's the cognition, cognitive aspects of it. 
um, a cognitive scientist would probably come up with something, you know, in terms of the old school cognitive science that I was mm. encountering would probably feature something about information processing and that sort of thing in there. But basically I would say any activity that were, well, the guiding aspect of activities now that, um, or the conscious guiding aspect is probably more, 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 um, more accurate because if you're undertaking a familiar activity, you know, if you're making yourself a cup of tea or coffee or something, then, um, you don't necessarily need to be aware of what you're doing. You know, it's just habitual. Your, your mind will be on something else probably. Um, and in that sense, there isn't a lot of cognition going on, but you could take many very habitual activities and deliberately pay attention to them. In which case there would be more conscious activity going on. Okay. So, um, cognition in that sense is, I would say basically thinking the thinking side of activity, the, and which means the guiding aspects because that's the role of thought is to guide our activity does that make sense to you it does it does and i have a couple of questions that i'm going to put on hold because um, i, I want to okay. allow you to get back to your original story which was i oh. guess i guess you were kind of taking an information processing approach and you found some gaps there that were unsatisfying um, yeah um oh well it was a i think it was a <sighs> It was almost, a, a, I, was, I was coming into encounter, I mean, as, a, as, a young, as a young adult, um, you, you have to find your way in the world, understand what's going, understand, come to appreciate some of the more deeper aspects of your culture and, 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 and how, how that culture works. And I think part of that, you know, you're trying to work out um, oh, um, how, how, how things work basically. How, and, um, it seemed to me at the time that there were some problems with that, that, that the way people were construing, construing certain, um, activities was incomplete and, um, missing very important aspects, which were also for me, very interesting aspects. And so in uh, the, the thing that was basically missing for me in the studies of cognitive science was um, what I eventually came to understand as active orientation, um, which basically adds a whole extra dimension to, to, the cog to, the, to, the, to cognition, a much more refined, interesting structure and not something that's just like a computational model or something. That you can apply so yeah so, so it, basically my, my, i was experiencing you know it was an area that's interesting for me but it was something that i i just to pursue to pursue that interesting topic in the form that it was presented mm. within the academic settings that i was finding would have been um oh um completely unsatisfactory because it is, you're basically throwing away everything that was rich and interesting for you in the process of trying to, you know, study this informally. So for a very long time, I, I, um, well, for a long time, I, I continued my studies, my interests in parallel with, um, lots of different work, uh, 
a lot of systems work, a lot of programming and software and analysis work. And um, eventually I came to uh, hit upon ways to resolve that, that, that problem, which were interesting in itself. And um, yeah, and, and I've developed that since then. So, yeah. was, the, was the problem some sort of uh, like coldness or some sort of uh, lack of humanity or something or some sort of like mechanistic element? Yeah, yeah, to, to, to a certain extent it was. Um, I mean, to use other words, mm. a large part of it was um, to bring perspective into the role of cognition. So that, but that, but that is, isn't really doing it justice because there's this, the in the moment <clears throat> subjective orientation to something. You're, uh, it's a whole synthesis of uh, ways of being, ways of looking, ways of understanding. And um, I think uh, another example that, for example, there, there are lots of little puzzles that, are, that didn't fit with the, the cognitive model that I was encountering originally. For example, um, what is intuition? Okay. Now, um, because intuition happens without what you would call um, thinking in a calculating kind of manner. Mm. You don't, you can solve a problem by doing arithmetic or arithmetic like thinking or, or work through something, but intuition doesn't happen that way. And um, my um, slowly piecing together this, uh, this way of thinking about active orientation was, for example, a, for me, a, a good answer to that aspect. So the, uh, the intuition would just be one, one small, mm. one small, well, it's, intuition itself isn't small, but it would be, was a small part of the, the jigsaw that, of the problem that I was experiencing. Uh, uh, and so uh, for me at the time, there was, um, hmm, it's a very interesting subject for me, but the way I, the way it was being approached was unsatisfying. And so um, I was trying to find a way to, to actually get at this stuff. Mm. So, so as with, as with many things in terms of understanding, you, you're at the same time as you are coming to a better insight into what it is that's the problem you're at the same time better understanding the nature of the problem if you if you get my gist mm -hmm. um and yes. sometimes and sometimes the closer you get to the details the the more you could see the cracks in the in the structure somewhat right like yeah the light, you could see the light that's getting in as you get closer to it um i i have a different question though that's related mm -hmm. um did you throw the puzzle out altogether or did you maintain the puzzle and find new pieces that were missing? Did you create a new puzzle? Um, does that question no, make I, any sense? Um, yeah, well, because uh, I, 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 I find that people often tend to like, just like wipe the whole table clean, you know, when they get frustrated and uh, get rid of uh, the puzzle that was there and try to start from scratch. Right. No, um, I, I try to keep my goalposts, mm. stick, stay, stay with them. 
and uh, for me it was just it wasn't uh it wasn't like a um a personal um hobby or interest i mean yeah sure very you know it, it was more an enthusiasm uh, mm. a joy for this particular area but finding that it just didn't fit with my personal experience we under understood things or just a satisfying way of explanation and um so that involved uh a fair amount of reading as opposed around to uh active orientation which i would like if you can can you give me a sort of starter overview um, which which might not be your preference but i'm going to kind of ask for like uh, like give me the starter and then we'll go from there well, there's different ways to come at it. Um, one is just to say it's like perspective, but it's it's more than it's a whole mental and bodily active orientation. Um, um, you could say at any at any particular time you have a certain disposition, right? So if you are driving your car or assuming you have a car to drive. If you're driving, then your attention is on certain things, you're looking out for certain things, um, your body is um, moving in certain ways and has certain configurations, okay? So you're, you yourself, are, you can look at it in terms of functional systems and think of your body as this very elaborate, um, um, uh, um, very elaborate uh, system of interconnected parts that can move in different ways and you can think about different things at different times but in particular activities you don't want too much variety you want to you want to focus on what's important at the time and otherwise you're not going to be able to deal with the situation okay you're going to be distracted so in any particular activity, you're going to be focused on particular things. And when events arise, you're going to, if an event arises that requires a quick response, then you'll be ready to, for example, if you're driving along and see the traffic lights change, you want to slow down in time and not, not go through the traffic lights. Um, so that perhaps is a nice example where we can say that you see something ostensibly in the outside world, you see something and you say, okay, that light has turned from uh, green to amber or even to red. And that means something to you in that context, right? But in a different context, a change of color might not mean that to you at all, okay? Now in the traffic light situation, you really, it's designed almost to just have to be one context effectively. But there are many situations where an event could have different meanings to you depending upon how you look at it, your orientation to it. Okay. Mm. So so just so as that might be a nice simple way to to at least see the the, the point of it is to say that well um, that it it's giving a contextual interpretation to events but not just not just cognitive or perceptual but to your your readiness to, to act and perform 
Now this relates to, to um, for example, activity theory, Leontief, in a very close way because Leontief talks about um, activity and he talks about, um, now I, will, I will call it the task of activity just to avoid confusion because some people will call it the object of activity, which is, is, it's fine to use, but you need to be clear about what you mean by object. But mm. so um, when you have a task in your activity and you, it's something you're engaged in, okay, there are certain things you're attending to and certain things that, that you aren't, okay. Um, so does, does, does that help? Yeah, so it sounds like it's a combination of sort of mind and body attention. Uh, mm -hmm. Sign reading, like some signs are quite predictable for you as an mm -hmm. individual and also culturally, like like street signs and street lights. Mm -hmm. But signs are kind of everywhere. Like sometimes lights are changing from, from red to yellow to green, uh, mm -hmm. metaphorically speaking. And mm -hmm. we might not necessarily pick up on such signs. Mm -hmm. um, and that maybe this is a type of maybe like mind, like mind, body, mindfulness system mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you need to make the distinction, um, sometimes is relevant. I mean, the first thing, I mean, I'd come back to a lot of all these psychological studies is that when people talk about certain, um, oh, phenomena or they come up with terms mm. this is just most of the time it's just drawing a distinction around something and saying this is you know this is interesting it doesn't necessarily mean that that's that's the way the only way to construe it do you see what i mean you can look at you can look at something for example a piece of furniture mm. and a, and a, a reasonably naive way to look at it and think is saying yeah that's that's a separate thing it is it is chair it is chairness all right but you you can equally look at this and say well at what point is does the chair is the chair not a chair right if you take off one of the chair's legs is it a chair okay mm -hmm. you can draw boundaries around things and say realize that how you what what you label something you do because it's useful right the labels are there because in some for someone at some point in time it's a useful distinction and so in the same applies to all the particular terms in psychology they're used because they're useful mm. and active orientation for me was a very useful um, um a very useful idea and conception to to work upon that for me unlocked all those problems mm. and helped and helped me to to uh to then formalize better the kinds of interests that are and things that i wanted to pursue so in in any respect is active orientation a uh what's the word i'm looking for um is it is uh is it a practice or is it more well, of like a concept well it can be it can be i mean i would say for sure um if you for study you, and, and also for is it for you a practice at all? Well, um, um, it is, but I didn't realize it. Hmm. For me, I was just interested in, in, in the subject, but then 
um, inadvertently you can recognize that by studying active orientation in your own activity and others you become more self-aware and okay. so you can look at it as, as an exercise in in self self-awareness uh, um, self-consciousness in that sense um, so yes in that sense it is is, is this something that you can uh, imagine being useful for me in a classroom as a teacher or even as a learner or even as a uh, teacher yeah, slash definitely. teacher definitely. slash well, learner i i would expect um you know parents and teachers are, are aware of this mm. you know of the web but they just might not put a word on it or a, or, a, or, a, or a term to it yeah um so uh, we, use, we use a lot was, we use a lot of medic we use a lot of metacognitive type terminology okay uh, and where i come from so i'm not sure if that's similar but it feels like it it feels like a, maybe it's a cousin if not a brother well if you are you're if you're aware of your own orientation mm. then you could say that's metacognitive for sure yes but where i say um like teachers would should probably be aware of this anyway as well as parents are is saying for example if um if you set a if you set the class to undertake a task okay you may become aware that some children are undertaking that task um, with a great deal of engagement and interest and others might be just going through the motions okay mm. now you'll be also aware that that has consequences for their understanding right if you're really engaged in your in the task um the way you understand and the nature for example even your memory for that activity will be different okay so you there would be different consequences for that now as a teacher or parent what is it that's telling you that that one child is um engaged in the activity and one child is sort of pretending to do the activity or is doing it but not really paying attention to what they're mm. doing what what what's telling you that and why is that an important thing for you as a teacher do you see mm. so in some respects so this is what partly what active orientation is is sort of looking at is is just everyday everyday um process personal act personal part of the activity um but it's giving it formal recognition mm. right so yeah that, that makes a lot of sense i was going to ask you let's say i wanted to make a habitual practice in my classroom now i might do this quietly by myself in my own head i might do this outwardly as a collective group uh i don't uh but we wanted to make this concept forefront if only for a moment just as like a like a snapping to type thing Mm -hmm. um, is there like one statement one or two questions that could be posed Ooh. habitually like right where are you okay. now or something like that okay um yeah i suppose you could i mean that this would be sort of going into the the, the sort of meditative literature or the, or, or, or ideas around things if you wanted to do that but sir i mean i, I haven't really for me i've been I, my the studies that i've done of active orientation have just been about <clears throat> not 
not trying to elicit self-awareness of active orientation, but just to try and show that you can show mm. what the active orientation of a child is in an activity. Got it. Um, but, but if you, yes, I mean, I think it would be a productive thing for, for children to become, I mean, you know, children often, you know, um, it's, it's a learning process to, to achieve this kind of self-awareness. Mm. Um, Mm. I, I would probably think something along the lines of, <clears throat> excuse me, something of the lines of, along the lines of a question that might might um might help facilitate that. If it's a question, is if they understand the question, in light of the question is pointing them to to think about how they are oriented. I mean, this would be a great thing. To, to, to introduce into the classroom if you had time of just ha if if children become very conscious that the way that they undertake their activity has um, um, consequences for what they learn okay I would say that you know the things as, as a good thing as a teacher to be aiming for is to encourage children to become aware of how they learn or what mm. or, or good ways to learn and this would be i think a uh a, a an important aspect to it of, of recognizing that they can orient to things at certain times i think i touched on this a little bit in the in the the talk i gave before when i was talking for example about uh, towards the end of the day uh mm. um children um uh um oh just uh they're beat up <laughs> they're getting fuss, yeah, yeah getting fussy and things i don't know if you've experienced that with with your own For sure yeah no doubt yeah yeah and so you can you know from that perspective you think okay you know to to encourage them to be aware that once they start getting tired to um to choose something and that would be an example of that now with children you might you might it might not be the self-awareness it might just be eventually habitual they think oh it's getting you know getting towards evening time and they just you know unconsciously will pick something not so tough to do that they would enjoy doing earlier in the day perhaps um yeah self-awareness of children is quite an interesting yeah it seems like a, a good a good time saver because if you're not uh like let's say your your ladder is oriented to the wrong wall. It's the Stephen Covey idea, and you put the ladder on the wrong wall and you climb it, you're getting to the mm -hmm. wrong place faster. And okay. So it's almost just sort of like a, a repositioning of the ladder type uh, is is helpful. I know for a teacher, I have things I do in my head quietly where I'm like move the ladder or something. And okay. Try to try to save yourself thirty minutes of going driving your car into a ravine um, okay just well, for sort you of, personally or to help mm, the class is that is, for me personally but i i make uh, that explicit like i tell them like that's one of my moves but something i okay. can elicit uh i also can't see into their head I mm -hmm. my children as well i cannot see inside their skull um mm -hmm. so just a way of getting some sort of feedback in a very maybe quick reliable and then habitual way just as like a way of bringing everybody back to the moment um, yeah 
I'm not sure how much that relates to what you were saying, but it, it seems like a productive. Well, yes, 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 I'd say it does. I mean, the, the big project that I worked on um, with respect to active orientation was um, studying. So I took a particular activity, which was my uh, one of my boys when he was oh, four years old, I think. Well, he just started school, okay? So I don't think he was, he was quite young for his year. So he might have been coming up to five, I can't remember. So he's just starting reception year and they were gonna be doing, starting to learn to write letters and things. So um, I, I built up a, <clears throat> a lot of experimental, experimental data of him attempting letters uh, with an application that I had put together and the whole point of the project, or the, well, the, there's lots of points to it, but the, the, one of the aims of the project was try to show his orientation just upon looking at the results of his writing. Okay. So you can, whether you can see that um, how the major facets of, of how they're oriented based upon their activity and this includes not just um, looking at the final the final letters that he produced but particularly it was more um, the movements of the letters in time hmm. okay um, we're jumping around a little bit here but one of the things you wanted to talk about I think was microgenesis hmm. And so an ex this would be an, ex an example of microgenesis for in here would be when he's writing a letter, I'll, I'll do the letter. So if he's doing an S, this is probably looks like a backwards S to you, but he's doing an S, okay. You could give certain, he can f start off with basically what I call corridor. So you, when you practice the thing, you can have sort of a, a long shape that you draw within, okay. And get used to that guidance and then you can use simpler forms of guidance like a few dots around drawing them but you can study the motion of that drawing so he'd be using a pen or something mm. probably to draw it okay and it won't be smooth okay um, necessarily I mean if it's something like an N you know when you have something down and you come up and around particularly when you're learning learning these things there's there's a great deal of structure going into it, but you can basically look at the a key facet you can look at is the timing. And so if you have a fluent writing, you, you have something like this, okay? And it just, it's like one motion. Mm. But if you have something where you're learning about how to do this, you might have a movement down, it might be very, very slow, and then coming up and it might stop and come around. But the fluency of the movement can be used to reveal the guidance that's given to that movement. Basically, you can look at when you slow down or stop, there's more thinking going on, yeah. okay? So very, quite simple to explain, but takes a, took, a, took a lot of effort to set everything up in order to capture that data and show it. And so that's, that's a key thing that I was looking at. So if you, you can look at the fluency involved in the generation of letters, you can tell, what's how these letters how the formation of these letters is guided you can compare that with the 
guide the official guidance that's given in producing these. Now, if the child produced that guidance, sorry if I'm skipping around, you don't follow this, mm -hmm. right? If no, the good, two align, good. if the two align, right, then that's telling you something about the self-awareness of the child or their ability to think about the activity that they're doing. Okay, so there's all these clues can come into effectively inferring the strategy that the child undertook in doing the activity. And if you know their strategy, then you know a large amount about their, their, how they were oriented to that activity and what they were doing. So all this feeds in to, to studying things like that. But now, um, and then would, would you want to be influencing their orientation or sort of more observing? Um, well, as a teacher, I think you think you might. Yeah, I mean, it, it, as a teacher, I mean, again, for, for parents. Oh, I, 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 actually, I was wondering in that particular experiment, were you sort of trying to stay neutral and just sort of observe and record or? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I designed that it was all software driven. I'd written how, it for a tablet. How about, as a, how about as a parent in uh, other domains, are you trying to influence their orientation often? Are you sort of trying to study and recognize it is is are, are, do you ever experience any conflicts between the two or or does your attention on this topic help you yes yeah oh, it's key it's a key thing it's, key, it's a key theme in development uh, well in the kind of developmental education that i've looked into and studied, mm -hmm. i would say it's i would say it's very important it's very important um um in fact one of the important things is i would say not necessarily to be explicit about what the orientation should be so now you look at some some researchers even within the russian tradition and they will explicitly try and provide a schema and say this is how you want to orient to these things which um you know that's been documented to show very good results but I would also, I would also, my own opinion on this and thinking is that there is a very important skill on the part of the child or anyone, doesn't have to be a child, to um, gain fluency in their, mastering their own orientation or, and how to construe things which I would say is a very important part, part of solving problems or, or, you know, of doing these things. Is this making sense to you? Yeah, it's making quite a yeah. bit of sense. Um, okay. All right. Now, if let's say you have a, let's say, let's say you have a child and it's summer, your child doesn't want to read so much. Um, okay. How is this at all potentially helpful? That's uh, a wide open question. Sorry. I could probably make a better question, but I can't think of it yet. Um, and 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 you and you and you and your child maybe to different extents believe that reading is valuable well i think um, to the extent that they they um they agree with that if they thought that it was important to do then i think you know they do it in the you know maybe in in, in their own their own time in the, or in their own way um 
Yeah, that's a really that's, poorly poorly phrased question. Well, so. well, the only the, the 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 reason why one of the reasons why I'm pausing is that what I've said about um, orientation with respect to saying it's very important developmentally. Um, there are good reasons for that, so it might be worthwhile skipping over, skipping on to that, and then perhaps coming back to the to what you're talking about here about trying to encourage particular activities. Mm -hmm. And if I, so are you happy for me just to to, to go I, a bit more? Yeah, I am, and I, I've been a little undisciplined because I want to be mindful of your time today, and I have well, it's okay. a couple other I mean, questions. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't mind. I don't mind. Yeah, but one, one of my one of my major questions from today is uh, I have not begun to look into Davidoff's work or right. developmental education. Mm -hmm. Period. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I know that's where uh, my uh, investigations are going to head because they kind of have okay. to. They kind of have to based on where I'm at. So can you give me maybe a little bit of a primer just just to kind of help me before I get started? All right. Yeah. That's it's that's appropriate to what I was suggesting as well. So, um, hmm. so you have to bear in mind that, um, all my, um, familiarity with these, um, researches is via translations. And, uh, so, um, you might say it's slightly secondhand accounts, but for me in any of these studies, I try to make sure that my understandings are coherent. Um, and I think that adds a certain degree of um, strength to what you come away with. Um, Davidov's writings, um, well, what I've read of Davidov is like there's some very large papers that are basically book length papers. I think he's wrote on generalization and similar topics and also a book on developmental education. Feeding into that, there's uh, a large amount of material that's been published by um, the uh, Journal of Russian and um, East European um, psychology. It's called JREAP is what, how I refer to it. And um, there are many, many papers there that you can read in the context or in the light of Davidov and developmental education. Um, so there's a good amount of material there. What Davidov writes about is substantial. And so with all these um, contributions you can come up with quite a coherent understanding and for Davidov I would say that that it, the actual core of what Davidov or what I take it away from Kavidov, Davidov is um, quite simple once you get to it it's quite mm. but but important um, I've got let me just show you the book and you might be might help sure So if you're an English speaker and you get into Davidov, that's the one to read. But it's not easy to read because it's all, half of the book is 
using terminology from um, Russian dialectics. And so you will read texts that, you know, if you're not familiar with it, you think it's very abstract and it's talking about the ideal and, you know, dialectical thinking and need, you know, uh, language that can be very hard to get through if um if you're not familiar with it so but nevertheless the, there's some very good material in here well let me inter let me interject real quick so my, yep. my my understanding of Vygotsky's cultural historical theory is that it's very much a dialectical theory of development and uh -huh. I kind of have a pretty good grasp on terms like contradiction and qualitative reorganization and things like that. So somewhat. So that's that's an update kind of on you know where I'm at. Okay. I think I think uh, uh, yeah, there's <clears throat> Vygotsky in respect to language in res language um, used to describe dialectical processes. Uh, Vygotsky is probably more readable if you're not familiar with the philosophical terms mm. than, for example, some of the things that Davidov writes because he's he's getting into a bit more of a uh, philosophically perhaps problematic area, or it's just the way that he writes or the or the way the translators put put things. Um, but it's ba it's things that, for example, the philosopher um, Ilyenkov uh, wrote a lot about. And um, if you if you understand if you that 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 can be quite hard going if you're not used to that that way of writing, but mm. you don't need to really go into that extensively in order to 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 get to the to the the important um, points I think that Davidov has, has to offer. Um, so an important distinction that Davidoff makes is between um, empirical thinking and theoretical thinking. Okay. Um, essentially, theoretical thinking is about um, mm, understanding or, 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 or mm, appreciation of the strategy or ways of construing and understanding a problem. Okay, so you're sort of understanding what you're doing in the process of doing it. And empirical thinking you could think of as a bit like following sets of rules that someone else has provided for you, but you don't necessarily know why those rules are given. Okay, now in our schooling, or at least in my experience of our schooling and what I've seen, it's nearly all empirical thinking, okay? So, um, for example, if, um, if you're in a mathematics class and you're learning about um, trigonometry or, or some similar subject, you'll probably be taught it in just in a rule-based fashion, right? You, so the properties of cosine and sine and cos, and you might even be given a little uh, uh, useful way to remember how these come into a into a into an equation all right and you just might remember a rule of how to put them together but you haven't necessarily at all come to really um come to grips uh, with 
why why these conceptions actually exist why why we why we use them why they are referred to in this particular way okay why these particular um terms are are used you know for example that as i was talking about for example using terms that are useful we if you look at furniture we have a name for a table and a name for a chair and and these things because we and we we talk about them in relation to each other so why for example do we have cosine and sine and cos and tangent you know and, and other terms why those particular terms and why have we divided up the problem space in that particular way all these sorts of things you won't get into in in conventional teaching right you might say oh, there isn't time and lots of other reasons why, why we don't do that okay that's part of the that or that so the rule-based learning is all is is you can pretty much um um translate to being um or associate with being about empirical empirical learning empirical thinking but that 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 isn't all of it a key part of the a key a very important part of developmental education is to have access to mentally or at least imaginatively the source of ideas or the reasoning of ideas for things okay and this is an important aspect with respect to davidov in that ideally you want to if you're going to be presenting a lesson on something and you want children to to get a sense of the problem mm. you might say to grok the problem right if you want that's just a bit of slang if you want mm. to say yeah I, I i grok this this subject you're saying more than, than just uh, oh yeah i've got a rule for this if you're saying i grok this is you're like saying i i there's i really get something essential about this i really get it now right and you're saying more than just oh yeah i can i can do i can do arithmetic i can you know i, I can work with fractions it's like saying you know why what fractions are all about why they why we use them okay so, so, so part of what i'm hearing from you is there's an emphasis on the development of the learner and the learning environment but also on the development of the concepts themselves perhaps even absolutely how these, how these concepts have developed into the absolutely absolutely okay. so a key part a key part for for for, for if you were des designing a lesson or a situation <clears throat> a good place to start is with the history of ideas okay so if there's some if there's an idea is there a concept or an idea that you want to introduce mm. a good approach to do so would be to think about this historically and work out in what at what juncture in our cultural history did this idea come about all right someone invented this it's probably an invention someone invented this idea in yeah in response to what as a solution in response what? in response to a situation all right now this might be a technical invention okay mm. could have been a bicycle could have been you know whatever everything that we have you know uh, a um 
a piece of you know a, a bowl a mug a knife to cut with all these things at some point or other were invented okay and they weren't just invented arbitrarily there was a particular reason for them now this is where the orientation part comes in if you ex if you encounter that problem personally if you genuinely encounter that problem then you will be exposed to a rich source of information telling you about the nature of that problem what's going to work what isn't to a certain degree mm. there's, there's, there's a there's a very rich source of information that that you are exposed to in encountering that problem authentically okay um and this is where the or where a key part of where the orientation comes in so developmental education in the davidovian sense you could say is problem oriented mm. okay so problems are good the problems you want to design things that so that the children encounter problematic material but in a particular kind of way i don't mean problematic in that it's um oh um of ethical issue or this sort of thing i i mean that that it's it it's problem because that they don't necessarily know how to deal with the problem they have to start engaging thinking real thinking to engage it um now one of the ways that you can do so this would, example, so would, would you say problem solving is at the forefront in in all sorts of different uh yes. facets yes yes but particularly it's not just problem solving like in terms of how 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 mathematic problems that might be presented to a child which you know i do this too is that saying well you just give your child a sum to work out or some elaboration of, of that you, you know you say well what's a quarter times a third or you know and they have to calculate that out or work it out and but for them depending on you know their familiarity that might be a uh you know a, a nice thing to be to be working on but i mean more than that into when i'm talking about the problem problem oriented and problem solving um you you ideally what you want is for the children the child or the adult or the situation is to encounter the problem and in this process construe what the problem is actually about mm. okay so first of all they might have they encounter a problem and the, the problem might be just because something the the way that they expected something to to um proceed didn't proceed that way all right so they had a method for doing something and that method doesn't work for this particular situation and um you know which for them might be a surprise but then they need to look at the situation say, well what what what's the situation here it's it's a it's i thought it was this and it isn't mm. right and then at that point you're starting to have to construe or look at the situation differently so it's not just about calculation it's about a whole orientation to the mm. situation okay Helpful. yeah now davidov uses i think the first example that davidov uses or the simplest example would be in um 
he wants to he wants to introduce a fundamental idea in his mathematics class i think he he, he largely focused upon the curriculum and on designing the curriculum and, and facilitating the whole process uh, he had other people doing teaching it wasn't just davidov doing this um so in a mathematics class of young children he wants to introduce a foundational concept of quantity okay what is so now you know you think about it how do you introduce quantity you could just talk about it which would be conventional way but so he sets up he sets up some problem problem oriented tasks for these young children okay and so th this is written about the book it's quite straightforward so it's easy to to talk about um he has the children perform some comparisons about um the length perhaps or the width of certain features of the classroom okay and so one might be the edge of a table and the other might be oh i don't know something quite long maybe someone's got a ruler or or there's um we probably haven't got a ruler there it's probably uh be the height of one of the children i say and they say well which one which one is longer if you line them up yeah and so the children get used to saying saying line up things or or a, a pencil and um the book okay which is which is which is longer and they can get used to certain kinds of comparisons by taking one object and another object and saying well okay you know the book's higher than the pencil or simple things now once they're once they're happy with this as a as a, as a method of answering this question you could then ask them say well which is longer um or wider the the windowsill or the height of the door okay and she'll say oh, okay we make this comparison but once they start to make this comparison they're going to find that there's a problem right because they can't they can't physically line them up mm -hmm. right? so now they're starting to experience some contradiction teachers told us to measure the, the door which is over there or somewhere and the window over there how mm. do we how do i measure them up okay and maybe they have a whole lesson on this or something like this okay and of course so they need to come up with a they need to they've they've encountered a problem they've been the teacher's given them a problem in which they need to resolve mm. solve that problem so they need to invent something to solve <clears> that problem and that invention on it you know it could be a piece of string it could be one of the children walks around with their arms stuck out this sort of thing but if you you know if you get with a little bit of reflection you can see well what the children do, are doing is that they are inventing a form of measurement right mm. and the basis of measurement is quantification okay so now that's that experience of resolving that problem is introducing 
quantification in a different way than just saying, oh, take a ruler and measure this necessarily. Okay. Mm. So, and if you reflect on what's going on here, um, and if these summarize the ideas in you, you, you know, you need to think about this quite a lot, but I would suggest that the important, an important, very important thing of what is going on here is that they are learning to construe the situation. They're not just taking it as a given, they're learning mm. to construe it. And um, so this is, so there's a number of things that are, uh, that are, very important things with respect to the way Davidov approaches things, um, which are inherent into the example I've given. One is that he started off with this um, concept of quantity. Okay. Now it's not quantity wasn't arbitrarily chosen. He's saying he's introducing mathematics. He's going for very foundational concepts. And so yeah. quantity, quantity is a very important part that he's, he's, he's starting with. Um, he's effectively taken into account the history of ideas, okay? Because he's looking at what are the conditions under which quantification or, or measuring something is important. And mm. so he's, re, he's almost taking, let's take the, and the essence of a situation, of a historical situation, and reintroduce that into the classroom in order to understand it. Oh, by the way, if there's a bit of buzzing in the background, it's because I've got a bit of a noisy computer fan, which is part of the reason why I've got the headphones. So okay. hopefully it's, hopefully it's, hopefully it's not too annoying. Yeah. I, I don't hear it. Uh, okay. one, one, one other thing that was jumping out to me was, uh, if you, let's say you create a piece of string to measure the window and the door, uh, mm -hmm. that, that's a, that's a physical tangible tool, but mm -hmm. of course in other don't, and other areas of comparison or different types of thinking, mm. these tools become invisible at some point. Like, mm. like uh, you know, you have some sort of a string eventually is going to become invisible because mm. we could eyeball the window and the door eventually. Sure. Yeah. yeah. If you if you were a, if you were a, if you worked with uh, you know um, with with those kind of materials and you you worked in sort of uh, some a construction or building and that sort of thing yeah you could you'd visually you can visually make make skilled assessments about the measurement of things which you know, so with, with otherwise the you might not so with the string you're constructing some sort of solution to a problem and by by developing a solution or at least a way to interact with the problem you're going to have a much richer grasp of the concept itself than definitely if the yeah. concept was just sort of presented um, yeah. We don't have to get into this now, but I was thinking the whole window versus the door thing, um, mm -hmm. not, not because they're passageways, but just uh, like what, what would an, I'm thinking, what would a, an adult version of that problem be? You know, like oh. of, of similar of similar difficulty <laughs> because I, I was thinking that for a lot of reasons, just because people are horrible at comparing things in general. And right, yeah, well it's comparison isn't comparison is only inherent to this situation because um that's what quantification is you want to quantify in order you, you're comparing two things and quantification facilitates that that but there could be other if you, you know if you're introducing oh um you know if your class was more about um, technology and design mm. You, you, you could introduce other problems which might involve 
inventing inventing solutions which for the children is 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 new it's personally new for them but of course historically is 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 may have been resolved um you know a long time ago can we say a, a principle of the developmental education is the teacher taking a lot of effort to figure out sort of uh constructivist ways of acquiring yeah. concepts yeah, it's, it's it's very very compatible with 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 yeah. um constructivism yes certainly. and then also taking a, a, a taking effort to sort of get at the i guess use your term the history of an idea of a thing like the mm -hmm. what are the what is yeah. the fun what is the function of this concept what sort of uses has it has yes. this con why did this concept maybe even come into existence perhaps or yes yes okay and so, the, so those are two those are two kind of core principles probably of an develop, developmental approach but i'm, mm -hmm. I'm sure, what else might, might i be missing well um if you were trying to characterize it okay um it's not just what the teacher does mm -hmm. okay um it's what how the children respond to it and what they do is important too so um although you might say it, it's a good approach to take regardless um hmm. i don't want to give the impression that development just happens okay i think uh, cognitive reorganization that i refer to is something that requires effort and that there's a great deal of agency involved in that process it's something that you sort of take yourself through and it isn't you're not just a passive passenger on a journey that someone else is orchestrating it's like you could think it's a facilitation process mm. so you know if you've got unruly kids in a classroom and who, who are interested in in um in just having you know kind of fun in the classroom and and not particularly uh at this particular juncture not particularly interested in in the subtleties of the material and things then you've got other issues to deal with first of all so in the developmental instruction uh, or or teaching i mean instructions is translated as instruction but you've got to be careful with that of course because in education people might think of instruction as a certain certain kind of teaching method but basically with with uh, a, a facet of the, of the developmental approach um, David always talking about entails um, a whole different approach to schooling okay where in which there are different responsibilities placed on the children different expectations mm -hmm. so uh, you know and the parents too and all, you know so it, there's there's a, a a different um a different ethos it still sounds like something one could slip in oh sure to, to his or her repertoire uh, yeah you know, definitely get another definitely. tool as yet another tool in the toolbox or even more yeah but, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah yeah <clears throat> now you had a question about adult versions oh yeah but i think i want to hang that hang on to that for another time okay um because that'll i think that'll derail us just a bit is is there anything about um uh age levels or age crises or that sort of model that is appropriate 
in terms of where we are in our conversation today? Um, I don't have a great deal to say about um, crises on their own, um, but in the Russian literature, most in educational wise, most things start around the age of six or even older because that's when children start going to school or historically mm -hmm. when these papers were written. I mean, it might even be a bit older. Um, so in, in, that, in that lesson about the window and the door, is, mm -hmm. is there any sort of, could that lesson potentially uh, result in some sort of neo-formation or is that lesson something that can result in one little sort of tiny step forward in the development of some sort of neo-formation? Or is that just the wrong question, perhaps? Well, at a general level, I'd say the whole schooling environment is going to be the, of the most impressive influence. Um, Here we're talking about, in terms of the, the most, what has the most significance for the child, these situations, I was saying, well, if they're entering these situations as is planned, and they're not just relying upon, relying, for example, on their, on their peers to, to do the, do, do the problem solving work. If they're, if they're fully engaged in it, then certainly it's very important that they're, this act of construal is for us it might seem trivial mm. but actually can be be um can entail work to undertake now i can I, there are some examples other examples um i might touch upon perhaps um okay in the Tris um, material that I was pulling in for my own kids' education during the, um, the lockdown, there are some nice examples to work through on um, getting the children to work with seeming contradictions. Now, one of these, for example, could be, um, mm. this is one of my older child. We take up certain features of our, of our landscape and ecology and bring together particular things that might be a bit contradictory and then work out how they could actually coexist. And so I might create a selection, for example, of things that, grow or 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 are conceived as organic like a tree or an oak tree environments you know sea deserts grasslands mountains okay and maybe some other features like um animals or other 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 details now uh, we could pick a selection of these and say okay let's take an oak tree and a desert and you are to invent a story 
about this oak tree that is thriving in the desert okay now as an adult you might look about oh okay you know okay interestingly with my my um older child his first encounter you know his his expressions when he when i presented this to him was um a sort of uh, um, a rejection he was saying well oak trees won't grow in desert they can't grow in a desert you know it's like so he has quite a simple a a simple and clear division about what what is possible and what isn't possible and that effectively was the largest stumbling block for him in approaching the problem mm. so i was making little you know i was suggesting particular things or you know suggesting keep working at it but his first real i would say in terms of his expressions um you know he was sort of thinking about it or you know scrunching up his face and other things and pulling expressions and saying things but largely i think the first stumbling block he had was just the resistance he had to the notion that you could have an oak tree growing in a desert but once it started to to you know allow him to think about it and make a few little suggestions he started to see that oh yes maybe maybe if you had some way of bringing water in okay so there was some underground tunnel or channel and when it rained in a nearby nearby province the water would trickle through and it would get carried and, and part of that tree could get fertilized there or maybe there are animals in the desert that get their water elsewhere and you know they happen to like um they happen to like uh you know um leaving their markings on on the tree right and water the tree and give it some hydration that way and uh this for him was a bit of a surprise okay so it's a different way of thinking it, it's like you might say he, he's shifting from a black and white kind of thinking at the time to something bigger now i wouldn't say that it's not just the one occasion that's going mm. to achieve this but familiarity with that and to get to a point where you can ask a question that that when you don't get this this immediate block coming up and say oh okay that seems a bit odd let me think about that <clears throat> yeah but th this is kind of how we do things here yeah mm. like that's, so that becomes it, kind of normal in, in your environment but what what you are doing there is actually essentially is your same thing quite similar to the description i gave for the um, mathematics class mm. in many well, in certain ways very similar in that <clears throat> you are asking the child to find a mediating principle <clears throat> between that resolves a problem mm. or in the the um the uh terminology that's often used within dialectics to to resolve the contradiction okay so they're presented with a contradiction to resolve now it's not going to be such a powerful resolution this story necessarily because it's not something that they're tangibly involved in it's more imaginative so you might say that a hands-on problem 
has probably you know that's got things going for it that you're not going to necessarily have with the the um just inventing a story because mm. of the hands-on problem you know one of the interesting things about technology is is going from an idea and then actually implementing something that works yeah that's you know that that in itself if you if you can get used to that that way of thinking or that or that skill to think that yeah i i can actually think of something in my head that hasn't been done or that i don't think has been done mm. and i can then implement that and it actually works yeah you think that that's that in itself is a can be a fascinating thing and um you know i see you can easily forget these things as an adult but i you know i mm. see children and i remember my remember myself about finding joy in doing things like programming because for that basically that principle of your your you have ideas no matter how simple about about you know, making something and that you see actually you can actually work get it to work and so this is going far beyond you know the empirical education in which you present you say oh, well you have to learn these these systems these notations okay here what we're talking about is saying why these notations are labels upon things and they work in particular ways but we want to we want to start getting much more into what is it that these notations are about why would you know how are we construing the things that these notations are about and with the by doing the problem oriented approach you start to get a very a rich understanding of that hopefully yeah. no, very interesting and helpful very much and i have a couple programmer questions but, oh, okay but, but first right. what you were saying was kind of reminding me of uh one of my mentors michael smith um has done some work with the concept of flow and uh so mm -hmm. chiksamihai has talked about video games as one example of really getting yep. somebody into a flow state for, okay. for, a number, for a number of different characteristics, including like uh, quick feedback, um, mm -hmm. incremental difficulties, all sorts of engagement and, and, and other things. And mm -hmm. so Michael Smith and some of his partners have tried to design education to capitalize on that state. And so my question for you is, is there anything in your programming experience and, and just listening to you talk about it you could see how it becomes addictive addictive this concept of like oh i'm going to try to figure something out and see if i could pull it off and then i pull it off and a mm. good feeling is, mm -hmm. there, is, there, is there anything from the programming domain that well you could use well, as, how that, I... that one could use as a as a as a teacher in instructional design or maybe practice or something like that how I would relate to flow in the things I've talked about is about um, the subtle way that one is using one's imagination in that you're not you're 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 not um, hmm, you're, you're not um, 
you're not trying to control things in the sense that when you're if you're just in a conventional task you might manipulate something in order to 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 achieve what you want it's not like a tool mm. in in when imagination with problem solving is um once you get into it is is a lot more subtle and it's sort of like teasing things out or allowing ideas to come forth and so what i would talk mm. about in this sense the flow sense is it's about the coming gaining insights into problems which this is, is is i would say it is a key part of a developmental approach to things is getting access to that mm. and so you you're becoming you become aware of the nuances of the problem now the way that the a, a, a productive and i would say a a um a reasonable way of approaching this the way i would say historically i found it that works is that when you have a problem you work at it and you keep working at it until you really you don't even have to have the problem before you in front of you okay to 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 be able to to think about it and to navigate the issues in the problem so you gain a a, a very good familiarity with the problem but once you've had once you understand once you when, well, understanding is the wrong word once you have very a very good familiarity with that problem you can then just play with it and just or just even even just even just um, ignore it and just it you'll find that if it's a problem of interest then ideas will start to connect up for you perhaps you start to see things and that in itself i suppose i'm not sure i call it addictive but it's um rewarding to be able to gain insights into things and to enjoy those insights so there's that aspect of it which i would find um i'm not sure i mean programming sense yeah it's a it's as someone you're just doing it for fun then yes there is that side to it i would say that there's another side there's um it's um, an aspect of the programming which i was referring to before which isn't i wouldn't necessarily relate to that flow state with imagination but i still think it's 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 uh, an important point is this point about um you are having an idea and that you can then implement that idea and mm. actually see it work it's not just you haven't you're not just writing um a fanciful story which i'm not you know that that in itself is 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 a nice thing and you might say that a fanciful story works if other people enjoy it right but in the sense that you can explore a problem domain okay that isn't actually um you haven't actually necessarily encountered it yet you know the nature of the problem and you can think about it independently and that's that's um i think that's a that's a, a um 
a powerful skill to acquire and use and uh, yeah you can appreciate appreciate certain things from it sure mm. yeah. i i just have a like a article or book title in my head like the programmer's guide to teaching or something like that because mm. what would not not necessarily for right now but just programmer principles that yeah, design there is, design principles perhaps oh gosh yeah systems ideas and things yeah. there's, there's some in programming for sure um the one of the the difficulties with these things of course is when they get sort of taken the wrong way or they get rarefied where people think oh programming is good or you know or some say oh no don't want to do that and it, <clears throat> it, we're not talking about anything of these nature it's not about the programming per se it's just happens to be that the the way we think about the programming exemplifies a particular aspect of the activity that we value yeah so you don't want to get you know i'm not saying people can get caught up on saying oh hugh is talking about programming which mm. you know i haven't done in a long time but um it's it, where it's it, it i wouldn't say it's not about that it's it's about the um again this uh, this invention aspect which i would say important um i i did want to hear a little bit about triz t-r-i-z mm -hmm. would you mind okay. taking maybe a couple just no, a handful no, no, of minutes no. to yep. seems like a pretty cool idea um but i don't know anything about it okay so. um well you it's it's the basic basics of triz i think you can get you can get on the internet you can look them up but um it's it's russian in origin um uh it's a chap called i wrote his name down now i'm not sure you pronounce this genrich perhaps out schiller and this is um a man who is a uh, very interested in design mm. and uh very influential in this space and he basically invented triz so he was so so interested in design and making things an innovation that he mm. ended up effectively coming up with an algorithm or a strategy or different ways to facilitate the invention process and he basically he ended up basically establishing um practices it's like a, a specialist specialist schools of 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 design where you to look at designing innovative mm. innovative um usually apparatus um so triz itself it's again it's it's russian but the acronym um something like theory of resolution of in invented mm, invented tasks or something like that but the the, the, the triz bit itself originates from a, from a it's, a it's an acronym acronym that originates from a russian a Rus russian um russian terms um central to triz is is the categorization of problems looking at dimensions of problems and looking at the interaction between those dimensions to solve things um and uh if you're interested in design and that sort of thing it's it's a great thing to look at 
I mean, they could look at, for example, um, I, uh, memorable things, for example, will be looking at how would you design a ship mm. to help to um, cut channels in frozen sea ice? Yeah, so there's certain countries like Scandinavian countries, and I just suppose you could apply the same to Canada and North America, that certain times of the year, your lakes are going to freeze over. And for example, so you want to, you want, ideally, you want to be able to cut channels so that your ships can move around. Okay, so you want to, you want to design some kind of apparatus that's going to cut these big, these big channels in mm. the ice. Um, there's different ways you can do that. So once you, you can sort of look at the problem and again, through your construal of the problem, which is very important, you can pick out certain kinds of qualities to the, the problem that, that will be useful. So you want certain things, again, you could think about, well, we could melt the ice, you know, but you'd need a large amount of heat to do that. Maybe we can, if we, we can cut the ice, so you could cut out blocks of it, for example. Different ways you can approach it. And I think the uh, a good solution or one that was talked about in this particular approach was thinking about if you designed a ship that was effectively hollow in the middle but had very strong, robust um, mm. protrusions from it, you could design the ship so that effectively it when it came into the contact with the ice it would cut into the ice okay just through its momentum and because the the ship itself was isn't your conventional mm. conventional curve to it your ship itself is leading with these two edges to it you can actually cut in an incision mm. and then take out a chunk of the ice do you see mm. but this design that could come through through excuse me through <clears throat> not through just oh arbitrary thinking about ideas but you try to get there systematically and that's what tris is about is about systematically trying to get these these ideas <clears throat> but as an offshoot of this the actual coming up with the the uh, innovations itself there's obviously a valuation or, or sorry um um, an appreciation and they value um, these particular thinking skills and so there's been people in the TRIS world who've worked on saying well can we foster this within educational practice in order to facilitate this and th so those kind of values are very similar to developmental ones there's a lot of overlap there and so that's where things for example when I talked about the example of the oak tree in the desert mm. okay that would be that's an example that pulled out of out of um you know a trids teaching guide because what you are doing is identifying particular dimensions you're saying well the tree needs water mm. we don't think of deserts have been particularly um blessed with water so this is somehow i need to think about this situation such that water um is present okay and mm. so this is like a little example that the you know like baby trees you're just trying to you know work out a situation in which this might work where the now taking that into mind where the 
implementation side of things comes where the programming part comes in in relation to this is like saying it's always like saying you've come up with the story about water and now you're going to test it now mm. you can actually going to build something and see that your idea actually works yeah that for me i think when you as a child or even for an adult when you first start doing this it can be addictive certainly in the sense that all of a sudden your ideas are starting to take on a different kind of quality they're starting to take on it's almost like your ideas are more real right mm. in a certain sense are more real than um what you took previously took them for this not just fantasy mm. you can you can come up with ideas in some respects that are harder and tougher than other things you know it's like saying in certain respects mathematics is 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 or you know things that have a value of proof to them have a kind of rigor and toughness to them and we don't i don't mean hard here by meaning difficult to understand it's more like they're you know they don't you can't brush them off right they have some in that sense of you can't brush them off mm. you're coming into contact with the kind of reality which you wouldn't otherwise come into contact with otherwise if you if you're taking the empirical approach to education if you're just given rules about how to deal things with work you it's to a certain extent you haven't actually touched or come into proper contact with reality in that sense do you see what i mean you say you haven't really you haven't really um there's Pseudo. something important about the world that you haven't come into contact with mm. everything is more second hand right and i would say that's the conventional way most you know you think we're surrounded by artifacts that we didn't invent you're speaking a language that you didn't invent all right everything is coming at you to a certain extent second hand so you're learning this second handness and if you're not careful you could end up just assuming that that's the way it is mm. but if you get some authority even if it's just even if it's personal personally new to you and just historically very familiar mm. that that is still a certain kind of authority on a, a different way of orienting to 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 um to well to culture and things in the world where you can start to look at it and say how was this invented why do we have this thing right so yeah I think in that sense yeah and, and you could Some almost these... look you could look at it from somewhat in a, in a very small sense from an uh, from an insider perspective being a an inventor yourself somebody or at least somebody who's familiar with some sort of process of yeah. invention you know then you can yeah. you could look at invention widely and say okay i i i get it i could appreciate that a little more right right i think if you do it enough then you can start to appreciate that yeah i mean everyone invents to a certain degree you know they're making you know this whether it's just for personal comfort all right you just I want to ask you a question sort of about it might be about tris but it might just be about the, this discussion more generally so let's say this is a circle with a pie chart and there are i'm, I'm thinking there's probably three slices but maybe there are more one of which is a uh construal but in my head i hear that it's framing like you're trying to frame a certain problem in a certain way okay. mm -hmm. um and then one is maybe the dimensions of the problem and then uh maybe the third is maybe the the interaction of those dimensions 
and mm -hmm. and the interaction of the sorry maybe the interaction of those dimensions or different type different ways those dimensions can interact i think mm -hmm. that's what i heard okay. you say about so yep. how, yep. how how big how big would the framing slice be 30 percent 50 percent 70 percent i i wouldn't uh for me they're the same thing effectively mm. the the um construing the dimension <clears throat> i mean you could say mm, maybe you could split them if you wanted to if you wanted to separate the dimensions to the construal because perhaps one of the reasons i i, we, I use construal and not framing mm. is that construal isn't just about the whole context you can construal can be about an object right so when i was talking about you know overly familiar things like furniture mm. um and them as as objects we choose to conceive them as separate objects right and we choose to conceive them as bits of furniture but they don't have to be we just choose it's just but it's so familiar to us but once you deal once you're in an unfamiliar unfamiliar domain or you've got a problem you're working with and you're you know you start to get used to construing things in particular then mm. you, you have questions like why why is it useful to see this thing in this particular way so you could say okay so if you were going to distinguish the object or the uh, the object from um dimensions about the object it would be in your in this in your starting position in the sense you're saying why is it useful to why is this why is this notion of object useful why am i thinking this is a discrete thing to begin with and at that point it's different but once you start thinking about the object as a problem or or a solution to a problem mm. then you're starting to think about what qualities that object has in fact in fact you could say that the qualities construe the problem itself i mean this is what formal logic gets into once you've got kids or you know or, or adults familiar with formal logic which is i would say is that's the dominant the dominant um mode of representation in in our professions across the board is using formal logic if you look at anything reasonably technical if it's accounting or computing um you can say something is defined by a certain list of requirements that are uh, are presented in in according to formal logic and that's you that's the conventional way of, of construing things and the formal logic basically consists of attributes mm. and you say this so for example a square we say well it was square or a, a square we might say is, is actually a special kind of rectangle okay so a rectangle we say well it's we might point at various instances of it for example but we basically say it's it's got a length and a width and they don't have to agree all right but basically if you were trying to list the basic requirements for a rectangle they would involve attributes of um width and length yeah it's a finite, it's a finite yeah, yeah. so they're just a yeah. set of attributes and you can look at these as measurements of a century i mean if you wanted to come up with a if you wanted to say this i've got a rectangle of this form you would need to measure it okay so but if i said if okay you wanted, if you wanted to shift logics maybe from formal to like dialectical logic for example okay. then 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 and then approach that object yeah. and what's what, okay. what does that open up for you 
All right. So that's quite different. So, well, let me just finish the, oh, the rectangle sorry, okay. example. No, 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 but it's, I'll get on to it quick. So, um, informal logic, about as far as it, you might go generally is, and this, well, there's, uh, some people might say this isn't, this isn't strictly formal logic, but uh, if I'm talking about the way people use formal logic, okay, then what, what will, um, you might extend this by saying, okay, we can also have a square and a square is a kind of rectangle, but it's a special kind of rectangle in that the length and the width um, have to be the same. So if you have a rectangle where the width, you might have a rectangle sort of that shape, right? But if you so have to shape the rectangle that shape, then you say, aha, once you hit that magic point, now it's a square. And you carry on, it's a rectangle, but you bring it out again, it's a square, okay? So at a certain point, your rectangle comes, did, did, did that actually appear on the, I don't know, maybe I was yeah, raised it to it. At that okay. point, it's a rectangle, that point, it's a square. Mm -hmm. Okay, whatever. Right. To give us another very simple, probably too simple example, if we're thinking about things in terms of, you could say dialectical, I probably prefer to say genetic logic. Okay, but you can say dialectical. The dialectical, there's lots of different variants towards it. You can almost say there's a politics of I dialectical see, yeah. description. But developmental. Um, well, it's, it, we'll be fine. Well, we know. I think we know what we're talking about. The genetic or dialectical hmm. logic reference to it. Um, it's perhaps easiest to draw attention to the difference by just comparing the two. So with formal logic. And, and the habits of formal logic, mm. we wouldn't generally think of an acorn as being the same as a tree, right? Or an acorn in its environment and a tree in its environment, okay? Although we say, yes, the acorn comes from the tree, conventionally, if we're construing these objects as discrete things with attributes, you're saying, well, the acorn doesn't look anything like a tree. It hasn't got leaves on it it's tiny and the tree is huge yeah the acorn has limited uses i mean if we're hungry maybe we can cook it or eat it or something and you know there might it might be pretty and we put it on the windowsill um but it's different to the tree okay but now if we look at things from a, a developmental perspective okay i.e how things come into being okay then we could say, well, the key difference between an acorn in, in its environment and an oak tree is the um, is the uh, the quality of growth, state of growth. You could effectively you could compare them and say you could you could think of it basically as being they are potentially potentially um, the same with respect to a particular kind of unit, a particular way of looking at it. And so when people are talking about units of analysis, and Vygotsky gets into this, when he talks about finding a unit of analysis of, of bringing um, of, um, speech and thought together, okay, then uh, this becomes a different, well, this becomes a useful, you know, appropriate distinction. Um, there is another key distinction here that's probably worth re referring to. Um, and this goes back to Ilen Ilenkov's 
um, work, where I think he was in the certainly in terms of the Russian cultural history. Um, he was very influential in uh, clarifying some of these um, uh, these ideas using um, technical language. And so he came up with um, clear, clear articulated, I mean, not, 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 not easy to read, but much more clearly articulated distinctions about, for example, different notions of, of general or what we call general. So um, typically um, in formal logic, we, we distinguish between instances of things and classes of things. Yeah. So we might have a, uh, an idea of a, of, a, of, a, of a car type, okay, type of car, manufacturer, model, or even perhaps a blueprint for a particular car or idea. And then we can say, well, uh, that type of a car is different to instances of the car. Example, you know, people that actually people own and drive and, and, mm. and um, we see on the roads. So you could say that's that that's those conventions are um, typical of formal logic and that way of thinking, and um, that we have this blueprint of a type and we have instances of it. So the class and the type are two very different things, and they don't they they only interact in terms of our, our thinking about it. From uh, um, from Ilyenkov's contribution or one of his contributions was to was clarifying a different version of generalization in which what is general is not necessarily distinct from the instances what 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 is focused on is um, the particular and this would be um, the particular the particular um, the particular qualities or processes that can unfold into many different things so it's sort of identifying real things that have a quality have a seed like quality to them which can unfold into many different things okay so that's a very different way of conceiving conceiving um, the world of objects Okay, it's still, you know, you're still involved in the practicalities of all these things, but it's, it's, it's looking at it in a, in a different way. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think you got to my question, which was initially about rectangles, which was like, because okay. uh, my question was kind of what is, uh, if you shifted perspectives or shifted frames or shifted paradigms to look mm -hmm. at to look at a square and a rectangle, how mm -hmm. can that how can that help you creatively? How can that help you see it maybe uh, beyond just the finite list of dimensions that might formally describe a rectangle? Mm -hmm. And that's where you went. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you I think I think I realized fully that you went there when talked about the seed the seed concept you know the 
the thing is the thing is also uh, maybe in the process of becoming or uh, the thing has potential the thing is not just is yeah i think i think in terms of um experiences you can access within a classroom setting i think when i talked about um first-hand experience of certain aspects of the world i think i think that's that's probably very important and that's probably probably um what 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 you might have been referring to when you're talking about programming potentially being addictive and what have you i, I think i think that's basically the root of it or it, it would be in my own experience i think yeah and, and i mean i and and i think one of the themes of this conversation was was problem problem creation and problem solving or problem construal and yes. and, and also um I'll add a few other things. Uh, the question, what is going on here? Where you, you take that question seriously. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the, so some of the things that I would like uh, selfishly was trying to pull out and, and I have, and I will even mm -hmm. more so when I, mm -hmm. when I rewatch this a couple of times, um, is, uh, problem solving strategies problem creation strategies invention strategies and i would say that was probably the central and, and then also ways of ways of framing and or construing things Those yeah i think very the, practical for me very practical very the, cons the construing is probably deserves greater emphasis than problem solving necessarily i think there's a um, hmm, perhaps uh perhaps it would be easy to um, to take the connotations of problem solving and think that, oh, this is all very much about hands-on technology facets. But you have to remember that I'm talking about the history of ideas. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be technical. It's just, I have that to hand. For me, it's quite familiar to talk about. Um, it would be, I mean, it's, we haven't touched at all much more about or like um, what role emotion plays in all of this, mm. what role teamwork and dialogue play in this, but all of this has a role. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, in, in the theorizing that I've put it, that I've worked on, it's, it fits very much within the structure or architecture that, 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 that I, um, I think is uh, is useful. Um, basically, the looking at saying that the as with Vygotsky talks about the social genesis of mind. Um, you can look at saying, well, what is taking place within one person's mind? You can distribute, and in fact, in many situations of problem solving, the distribution can be very helpful in a classroom setting. Because <clears throat> what the, the once you get into the T's, T, if you look into these these kind of experiences and, and think about why is this difficult for these particular learners? What what you know? So difficult being good in this sense. Why is this challenging? And one of the challenging things about about these activities, whether they're hands on or or imaginary is that they entail coordination and coordination of um, 
of things that um, the agents don't have too much familiarity with. Mm. Okay. And, but it's basically, if you think about it, it sense as well, if there are, if you're dealing with a complex of experientially a complex set of ideas, then um, if you're doing it as a team or working together, then you can have people, different people focusing on particular aspects of it and working together. So as you have in a, in the, in a teaching situation, um, you have available to you the, you know, the ideas about that you're facilitating, you are actually helping to coordinate things for the child. You're holding things in place to a certain degree to allow the child to, to, um, to, uh, to work with them as a group of children, then you could say, well, yeah, in a distributed sense, they can help hold, hold the problem together. Mm. Not only in a sense of the intricacies of the problem or the idea, the intricacies of idea, all the facets of the idea, but emotionally in terms of interest, everything like the liveliness of it. Mm. So, you know, the other, what I haven't talked about, it might sound quite a dry thing what we're talking about here, but experientially for the children, you would say, well, you want, it's, we're looking at fostering a very exciting place that mm. you, you look forward to, to doing because once you get used to it, you think, yeah, I, I love that stuff. I want to get into it. So, yeah. and I don't think you don't need to, it doesn't, it's just that technology is, 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 uh, is quite an easy way to explain it, but there's absolutely no reason why you can't take these ideas in the setting of English uh, and other areas too. And, um, Davidov and his colleagues, you know, talk about learning aspects of English in a developmental context as well. So mm. that would probably be useful as well for you to look at. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very, lots, lots of rich material. Uh, I know, once you personally start, for me to work with here. And uh, Once you start unfolding it, it, there is a lot to it. But I yeah, think no you can see that, that when I was started to talk about Davidov, I said the whole thing can collapse down into quite a very small, a small but very um, powerful set of ideas. You know, about this history of ideas, this fostering orientation that refers to the foundations of, of the subject. Mm. And is, is, is ideally, it's, it's something that can unfold into, into, the, into the content of at least a subtopic of, of, of your um, domain of interest. So it's, it's, um, it's highly concentrated. Mm. It's like the, the idea itself, this is why people use the analogy of things like germ cell, is that it's, it's, it's like you've taken a large, or a domain of whatever domain you're, you're interested in, and, and somehow you've identified features of it which will collapse down mm. into some seed-like quality mm. and then you're effectively trying to pass this over and allowing it to bloom experientially mm. experientially um and that's i know you said one of the things you were in you wanted to look at was for example um differences between notational learning and development Mm. Now, does that does that start to fit in with you? Does yeah, that, so yeah, very much. If, you, if you're just notation can be, you know, it's it's a it's a skill and it's it's one that um, 
in our culture is is um is uh valued and but it it's problematic i think if we just learn the system of notation and don't exercise any work upon what the notation is actually about if we just take it as given then we're not really breaking into it we're just secondhand users of this of this mm. of these ideas and um, and again with developmental education a, a, a core core facet facet of it is gaining mastery of your own learning process mm. and so this naturally entails um a growing appreciation of what it means to know what knowledge is mm. okay so yeah in some respects you, you want you want to introduce philosophy because it, it should be part of you know philosophy is about ways of knowing and understanding you know yeah. as far as i'm concerned it, that should be the core of of schooling and it, it you know you shouldn't reserve it for ostensibly for you know some adults to entertain in an abstract yeah. way it should be it should be lived so yeah i agree with you there um hold on please one sec okay sure okay thank you i had to talk to my i had to talk to my kids i have to make them lunch uh, in, oh. a couple, in a couple minutes uh, um, fortunately my, my wife's on duty today so uh, nice so i can uh, I, I cook on the weekends and uh, occasionally nice. during the week. Very know, nice, I, yeah. Yeah. And my wife, my wife is a professional cook, so I'm pretty oh, lucky. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's why, that's why my cheeks are so full. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have a... So I only have time for maybe one question, possibly two. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the choice. So uh, okay. choice number one is, is, uh, is there anything that we really didn't get into today? that uh, you think is urgent enough or interesting enough or maybe even just playful or fun enough that you want mm -hmm. to add. And the mm -hmm. other question, the other question is, um, I like, I like the oak tree in the desert story, like combine that mm -hmm. with narrative. I like that. And, mm -hmm. and uh, if somebody wanted to create problems that are engaging, generative, maybe even seed like in some sense or germ like in some sense, mm -hmm uh do you have any advice for mm. problem creators um especially in a in a developmental or educational uh context? well those were my two questions feel free to take okay okay either one. um well yeah there's there's very exciting material that i've been engaged in for the last two or three years that goes beyond vygotsky and davidov um and uh, but it's true to the whole Davidov and Vygotsky in, in sense of my my saying that adult development continues. So I've had certain experiences out, out of the box and blue sky, you know, the things that I wasn't expecting in my own experience, mm. and um, that have sort of widened my horizons. So again, I haven't really looked too much. At, uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the problems that I I was interested in concepts I was interested in and the readings of Vygotsky uh, I'm, I'm no longer such an active reader of Vygotsky it's like I, I, I feel I have good understanding of what Vygotsky was doing and I'm I'm I read occasionally in that space so in the systems literature I'm, I read quite a bit and look into it but um, my interests are sort of um, research interests have taken another step 
uh, if you like in uh, in that space and that partially it partially pertains to things like uh, to logic and forms of reasoning so i'm quite interested in triadic triadic logic or what you might call ternary logic and that's one of the things i'm looking at but it also feeds into oh um aspects of mysticism and all sorts of um uh, profound things that you know i didn't really think that i was going to encounter in you know in 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 in, in my um my my uh, my uh, my ways of uh, of going about things so um that's those are some of the things that i've been focusing more upon recently and seem to me to be very important things to look at um second question about advice um I think you should trust your own experiences here. I think one of the important things when I was talking about learning, um, le when we're talking about flow and learning, um, learning to gain some confidence in in using imagination and harnessing imagination, so that you're not just it's not just arbitrary you're controlling it to a certain extent in saying you know what the shape of a problem so you're having some discipline with your imagination but it's still it's still imaginative work and there's lots of literature being written about play and imagination and this you can look at as a as, a, as an extension of that um i think you should trust your personal experience to a certain degree so I imagine it would be rather difficult for someone to to apply and appreciate to a certain to a certain amount what I'm talking about if they don't value that innovation and philosophical thinking themselves. But I don't think I'm talking to a minority here necessarily. I think you know lots of people once they start to dig into it, think, yeah, you know, there, there are moments in which you, you've you can value things more than than just a, a ritual you need to go through to learn particular rules and you start to say yeah there's i can see the importance in 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 better understanding so there's um an interesting mm, in addition to becoming confident with the use of imagination there's a certain kind of trust i suppose you can have with the situation um it's like confidence you gain confidence in something and you can you can you you know that it works so there's a kind of uh, you, you gain a, a strengthening familiarity with um that you can come 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 up with interesting ideas or 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 understand how understand what why ideas um why why ideas are are, are described in particular ways why, why they um why they articulate particular structures hmm 
So personal experience. I think if, if you were doing it to start with, for you'd never, if you'd never consciously done this sort of thing before, you could have quite a few false starts in that things might not go as smoothly as you originally planned. So you probably want to better, best start off with things that, that are, that are quite familiar to you. The domain space is quite familiar. Mm. But I think really it's a cultural, it's a cultural notion as well. You know, children come into, if it's talking about a formal teaching session, children, even in primary school, they, they start coming to school with expectations about what schooling is about or even other contexts for example when i've helped out for example um i've helped out with cubs here do you know about cubs with yeah so we, we i help out with, with like boys go to cubs or at least one does old enough to cubs and i've we have situations there of making things and when i'm helping out sometimes i'll say to some of the children well you know have a think about it try and try and work out how to do it because they're asking me they want it and some of the children would just flat out say no i want you to tell me how to do it right and i think this is this is part of a cultural evaluation it's not necessarily the child i don't think that it's the, the child just um not being inclined to do this from personal decisions it's just what they're habituated to but if you have a classroom setting in which people become more habituated to this idea then it will become easier so part of part of what we call difficulty is not necessarily something inherent to the i mean you know there are difficult tasks that we can do that that there's some something um complex in the task itself but some of the times what we call difficulty is just seeing it in a particular way or being willing being willing and to engage these things so what you you know from a starting point what you need is is a willing willing participants is is is, mm. is what i what i would say there when we I, i've referred to complexity quite a bit it's probably worthwhile clarifying here um it's a distinction that i used to make well uh, um still do occasionally but um it's, it's a useful distinction and that is um there's a difference between complex and complicated, right? You're familiar with this distinction? Mm. So um, you can make many things complicated, right? Um, you just um, jumble things up and make it a bit more of a, a mess and it mm. becomes complicated. You know, if you've got a tangle of wool to unravel, then you could say that was complicated. It's it's just sort of something. Once you've tidied it up, then there's nothing left to to do. You've pretty much tidying. So you can have complicated ideas. All, all they entail is tidying things up. Mm -hmm. But complex is referring to um, structure that's inherent to to ideas. And again, you know, I would have thought that it would make sense for anyone, really, if you're saying that 
what is the best way to introduce someone to something that's that is potentially complex you know is to engage it to engage it uh, um, actively as a as a as a full task not as an abstract task but in which you have a qualitative experience of it you, no one has sort of you don't have to have this idea written out in paragraphs and read it in a book if you can experience the idea yeah mm. then i'd have thought that that that, that that makes it accessible as well but it's uh, all the more all the more advantageous if you're entering into these encounters willingly and um you know uh, in a in a in a manner that um fosters that setting because you know if you've got a disrupt disruptive class then um it's not going to work so well because these kinds of practices entail um more self-regulation on the part of the children okay which is why you know when we've the, the correspondence we had with uh, with them regards around education and the covid conditions mm. one of the one of the um takeaway ideas or or, or 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 notions was that it seems to be that remote learning is is um is more conducive to a developmental style of education because it implies greater self-regulation because you haven't got someone over your shoulder pointing out what to do all the time this sort of thing um it requires so it implies greater self-regularity in, in that sense yeah, so I agree uh, with that speaking yeah. of speaking of which self-regulation self has <laughs> plummeted yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so I lied and I do have one final, final okay. question. Give me, give me a lunch idea from uh, your part of the world. A lunch idea? A oh, lunch that idea. I make? Yeah. That I make? Um, well, what do you call lunch midday? Because I, I normally, what we call tea and that's sort of evening meal or evening meal. Something, um, small, something smaller than supper. Oh. All oh, right. Because I normally, it's the supper things I normally do the cooking. I was going to say, what I a typical one I make is cauliflower cheese. You know that's just that's, that's quite straightforward. I have a yeah. fresh I have a fresh head of cauliflower. It's called cheddar cauliflower. Okay. I got I got it from the farm yesterday, and, okay. and I was actually ordered to do something <laughs> with the cauliflower today. So walk me through that very quickly. So. Cauliflower cheese. All right. Okay. Um, well. Um, Let's see the way I would do it. You're talking about uh, maybe just under an hour from start to finish. So put the oven on, get it heating up. Um, you want, uh, what do you want? Milk, flour. Um, gosh, I'm to remember things now. Is this, is this similar to macaroni and cheese, but with cauliflower instead of macaroni? Yeah, I think so, probably. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. That's going to be actually, that's going to be dinner tonight for them and for me. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Plenty, plenty of cheese. You know, yeah, yeah, cheese. yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, we make a mean, we make a mean mac and cheese here. So this is cool. I'll try that. I'll try to just sub out the, uh, the cauliflower. Works for me. And I'll, uh, I will, I will, I will photograph it and, uh,
give you the results. Oh, okay. So we we went through. Hopefully, touched upon most of your points that you you, so. you were hoping. To. I think so. Um, I, hope, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I know I did, and uh, and I always enjoy these things. Sometimes even more so in, in, in upon a second or third listen, because then I then my it, then my head is clear. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a different medium, so mm-hmm. you're getting different things out of it. I mean, I think. You know, if if you wanted anything rigorous, you'd have to go back to the text. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it helps. I think you hear someone talking about it, and all the all the the stresses in particular places, and you get mm-hmm. a sense of how someone thinks about it. You you get extra clues sometimes, don't because, you? So yeah, yeah, it was really helpful and 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 also enjoyable for me. Okay. So uh, it was really nice talking to you and actually connecting face to face. So. Uh, yeah. We'll be in touch. Well, if you, yeah. If you, uh, yeah, if you want to come back on any of this, by all means. Yeah, I could imagine big, that's going to happen. It's a big topic. I mean, there's yeah, no doubt. Things I'm the sources I'm referring to here. It's 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 quite a lot of reading. And, yes, no and doubt. So, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, and uh, I'll be in touch within you know in the day. Okay, you're welcome. And uh, say hello to your family, please. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, and I'm glad you did the other thing because that's going to be a hell of, a heck of an artifact. For, for your kids to see that when they're older. Oh, wow. That's, you know, think about when they're older and they watch that. That's going to be very cool for them. Yeah, um, interesting. I, I think, yeah. <laughs> Unless everything goes haywire between now and then, but that's, that doesn't uh, seem likely. That doesn't seem likely at all. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. seems like you have a good thing going, and I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, okay. cool. Yeah. All right, man. All right. Well, Thanks, we'll, Anthony. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay. Again. All right, yeah. take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao.